I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Good morning and welcome to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast. And I'm delighted, especially in this very turbulent time of uncertainty and disruption, to have my guest with me, Julia Henkel. And Julia particularly wanted you today and delighted that we can speak to you all the way from Bali because it is such a time of mixed feelings. People are going through the gamut of emotion. There's lots of uncertainty. There's pervasive fear. There is sadness. There's longing for loved ones while we are in lockdown. There's people who don't know how to deal with themselves in isolation. And what we want to talk about is what the kind of feelings are that emerge and how to deal with them. Because most usually, under normal circumstances, what one does is when you experience these kind of mixed, uncomfortable feelings, we kind of want to push them away. We want to armor up. We want to say it's just a bad time or a bad day. They are not to interfere with our daily routine. Go away and we'll be better in the morning. But in fact, there is a far better way in terms of understanding and coping with our feelings in a healthier, less destructive way. And that's what we want to talk to you about. And just to introduce you, um, Julia is a behavioral specialist. She works a lot with transformation and change in organizations. She is a life coach. And I met Julia because I was so interested in the work that she had been doing and her accreditation as Renee Brown, therapist and interventionist. And for those of you who might not know, Renee Brown is a person who talks a great deal and has written many books about vulnerability, about shame, about connection, and the importance of integrating those kind of emotions into our lives, normalizing them, and embracing them in a way in order to deal with them so that they don't trip us up. So it's wonderful to have you with us, Julia. Welcome. And you're in Bali. Tell us a little bit about why you're in Bali. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dorian, for inviting me onto your podcast. I know it's a new podcast series, so it's wonderful to be joining you as you step out in this new way. Yes, I came to Bali, what's almost four weeks ago, um, for a spiritual retreat with a friend of mine and some other South Africans who are leading the program here. And literally within sort of a week of us being here, the world changed and it changed irrevocably for us when South Africa announced lockdown and of course all international airlines shut their airways down. So I'm here, I'm, I'm safe, I'm comfortable, I'm not alone, but I'm certainly sitting in a lot of vulnerability, which is uncertainty. And of course, I'm sitting with a lot of concern and love for my family and clients and fellows Africans back at home who I can hear also struggling mm. but we, we're doing the best with what we can and it's wonderful to have a my laptop with me and um, stable Wi-Fi connection and an ability to still work and connect with family and colleagues and you know people like your listeners. So what I hear from you is you're certainly recognizing 
some of the advantages, well, I guess you could say advantages and strengths that you are comfortable, that you're not alone, that you have connection with you, that you feel safe. But there's also that whole aspect of vulnerability, which means uncertainty without really knowing the outcome and coming to terms with those feelings too. So you are, are right in what you talk about. Can you tell us a little bit more about what vulnerability is? And, and it is in all of our lives. So why shouldn't we just say, look, these are uncomfortable feelings. Let's push them away. Mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. So like you said in your intro, I had the privilege really of being able to go and study with Dr. Brene Brown in Texas pretty much this time, exactly last year. So I do feel that I was equipped with the skills because we do say that building the ability to be courageous, which involves embracing a lot of vulnerability, is a skill set. So I feel like I have been equipped with those skills, but I'm sure you'd know in your own life is that knowing something in one's head and then actually experiencing it in one's body and in one's life and in one's bones is a very, very different felt experience. But I do feel like I have the tools and um, I am chuckling to myself, like how much more vulnerable and out there and brave do I need to be that I can put in these circumstances? But it is an opportunity for me to practice, I guess, what I, I preach. But to the point around the emotions, I, I think because these are such unprecedented times, I mean, very, very rarely in, in our collective history, certainly in my lifetime, and I'm 46, have we all been in a similar boat across geographies, cultures, races, genders, ages, religions. It's kind of like we've all been equalized with this coronavirus because we all find ourselves in this collective state of vulnerability. And, you know, vulnerability based on Brene's research is that emotion we all experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And it's about cultivating courage, um, which is about being both brave and afraid at the same time when we can't control and predict the outcome. But because there's so many of us globally that are feeling so acutely anxious, there's a lot of common triggering taking place. So the feelings that you asked, what are people experiencing? And of course, I, I've got a huge amount of news feeds and things that I'm watching all day, as everybody else, is we feeling a lot of triggering around feeling irrelevant, maybe even incompetent, no longer being that expert. So when I say irrelevant, some people are facing really, really hard facts around being laid off, being put on reduced pay, having to close down their businesses with their you know, retailers or coffee shop owners, having to work from home, not really having all the sort of tech gear. And, you know, I'm, I'm also just figuring out Zoom and how do I start making some of my offerings available virtually. And a lot of us are, are left with a lot more questions than answers. And many of us, very much myself included, like to feel like we have it all together, we've got all the answers, we know what we're doing, and we are experts in our fields. But we're all feeling very, very vulnerable and very much like, gosh, I, we don't know how this is going to work. Do we have what it takes? Do we have the skills? Do we have the resources? There's a great deal of fear of what's going to happen to me in every yeah. way. I mean, yeah. people around us are really getting sick. There are many, many, you know, who are not making it. So that definitely is a huge part of it. It comes into it as well. So the part that I want to talk about is how, the how-to. Because let's accept that everyone is feeling uncertain, not knowing the outcome in many different ways. 
and extremely vulnerable. You speak about the development of courage, okay? So that's a combination of both of, of bravery and being afraid in such a way that we can cope with this. Talk about that, the development of the courage. How do we handle these feelings? Yeah, so when we're feeling lost, confused, you know, isolated, alone, and, you know, a lot of what people are referring to is feeling very disconnected and grieving, and some are even feeling a little bit desperate that people are feeling like they are at risk and maybe having to take some risks. And on one hand, and again, this is where there's so much ambiguity, because on one hand, we're saying to people, stay calm, keep your feet on the ground, cover off the basics, all the sort of, you know, self-preservation hygiene factors like sleep and exercise and good mental health and all of that. And on the other hand, we're also saying people lean into this discomfort, begin to take risks, because what the world needs right now is both calm Plus, it also needs connection, courage, creativity, and some kind of clarity. So all of those things form part of what it takes to be courageous. When you step into something, you need to kind of take a risk. And I think where people are really needing to develop a skill and be a lot more creative is around developing the courage to be compassionate and empathetic, starting with ourselves. So when you have those feelings which threaten to overwhelm us, okay, I think the first thing is what you're saying is acknowledge them. Don't push them down. I think there's a lot of advice around there of, you know, just stop and get a grip and be in control and push those feelings away. Maybe embrace the ones that are useful. But we know in attempting to push them away, a kind of will need to be listened to. So perhaps the first thing uh, you spoke about is, is accept, not accept them as comfortable, but that you have to acknowledge them in order to be able to tolerate them. I am scared. I am sad. I'm missing my home. I'm uncertain. I'm not sure what the future brings. I worry about my parents. I'm separated from my kids at the moment. Um, instead of armoring up and yes. saying, oh, these feelings aren't really, I can't do much about them, so let's forget about them. Can you talk about leaning in part as step one? Yeah. So if, if I may, I'm just going to take a tiny step backwards. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, is what are some of the strategies that we have as humans for dealing hurt, anxiety, vulnerability, And, you know, we'll get to the, let's call it the, the healthier, more, you know, aware-based strategies, but the ones that we typically fall into, and each of us maybe has our own little combination, is we often tend to numb. So numbing is all manner of activities, which could be anything from drinking, eating, sleeping, working too much, maybe, you know, too much social media, watching too much Netflix, etc. All these things that we do to take the edge off that feeling of uncertainty. And I think you've really got to be on to yourself around how much of what I'm doing now is numbing or is it actually taking self-care and actually maybe enjoying a little bit of reprieve from everyday you know, hectic life that we lead. So numbing is one of those strategies. The other one is bouncing hurt or offloading. So this idea of I don't actually feel or allow myself the time and space to think and feel what I'm really experiencing right now. I just kind of offload it, ranting, taking it out on the government, whoever's not doing enough or 
you know, this is BS and whatever. And you can imagine that sort of like pushing away of that emotion. The other one, which I think is quite dangerous, is stockpiling. This is this idea of I just keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And it's a form of, I guess, denial. But this idea of if I allow my emotions to come to the surface, there's this real fear that they're going to tsunami me and then I'm not going to be able to cope and do the very basics that I need to every day. So that stockpiling is huge. And you're also going to see what Brene talks about as chandeliering, which comes from a medical term. When somebody's in such acute anxiety or pain or distress, is that you just touch them very gently and they literally hit the chandelier. So this idea of people losing it at the very last minute. So these are the, some of the things that, you know, if you're living at home with people right now who you sense are struggling or you're struggling, just ask yourself this question, what is my current strategy for dealing my hurt and anxiety? And is it serving me and those that I'm with? All right. So we know that these are kind of ways of attempting to deal with it, that kind of build up where you can get settled at the last minute. The yeah. reflection and the denial, the attempt not to feel through numbing, whether it be just continuing, continuing in an activity to anything, the eating or the drinking or the whatever. So what we're saying by implication is that these aren't effective strategies. What we're saying is that it's important to actually, we can say, lean in or allow yourself time and space to feel these feelings. Can you talk about that and why should we? They're uncomfortable, difficult feelings. And is it important to actually feel them? Can't we just sort of hang on by the fingernails until, until they go away? And will they go away? You know, they don't. I think the reason we call emotions feelings is because we feel them in the body. And the body never lies. It always speaks first. It keeps score and it always wins. So the more we push away emotion or stockpile it or you know, try and numb the edges off it, it's still being experienced in the body as a form of stress or anxiety or whatever. So those things often turn into symptoms. And I'm not a medical doctor and I don't profess to be one, but I certainly know that when I'm not dealing some of the things in my own life or I've got way too much going on, I will get a migraine. I will get something that forces me to lie down and to sit still or be still and to address what's really going on for me. So it's very, very important. You said, what, what do we do? What are the strategies? For me, there are three things. One is what you said is we have to check in with ourselves. What is going on for me? What is my current pattern, my current mood? What's the sort of emotional strategy that I'm engaging in right now? Second, it's about understanding that, that I need to develop a level of self-compassion. Can I treat myself or talk to myself like I would somebody that I really deeply care for? Because I'm noticing also in the social media feeds is people are like almost going, okay, I'm going to learn yoga, I'm going to play the guitar, and I'm going to sort this out, I'm going to write an article. It's like, wow. And then when they feel that they don't quite meet those standards because they're tired and anxious and they've got lots of other competing things happening, they feel let down and then they start to break themselves. They're not doing enough. So check in with yourself is the first one. The second would be check in with those around you. What's going on for them? What are the fears and feelings they're addressing? or dealing? And how could you be of service to that? And can we just allow for conversations around where are people at and what do they need? Because if we don't spend a reasonable amount of time talking about those things, we're going to spend an unreasonable amount of time dealing with behaviors that come out of that. And the last thing is kind of looking at what are the behaviors that I want to role model 
in other words, that I want to see during this time. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be engaging with people that are a little bit hysterical or overly anxious, etc. I want to be dealing with people who can provide a sense of calm, maybe even a sense of hope, some kind of clarity. That's kind of the behavior that I need to start practicing in order to sort of transmit that to others, if you like. And that's difficult because there's a huge amount of that around you. And maybe you need to call on yourself after being kind to yourself to offer that sort of um, empathy and compassion that might help to calm other people down. Perhaps one of them lives with you. You're stuck with them 24-7. And it's not that easy to say, okay, I don't want a slice of you today. You're too hysterical. I think I'll call someone else who I think is just calmer. You are there and you have to also develop ways of being able to engage with those people that serve as a kind of safety net and calm them down as well as being able to do it for yourself. Yeah, so maybe, you know, you use the word empathy. I think this is what people are needing to cultivate and it, this is what takes the courage. It takes courage to remain calm and to try and hold on to hope. There isn't a lot of answers and certainty. That, that takes courage. It also takes courage to develop empathy because what, what empathy is, is empathy is all about connection. Now, if someone's really struggling, do I have that capacity to connect with the emotion that they are feeling? I may not be experiencing the exact event or experience that they are living through. Like if maybe someone's just been retrenched as a result of all of this, or they've lost their business, or maybe they know somebody that's ill at the moment, or somebody I know has actually just lost their parent in another country, and they can't be there. They can't have a funeral. So I don't know what that's like because I've never been retrenched. I haven't lost a parent and not been able to attend to them at the time of their death. But I can really connect to the emotion the person is experiencing or sharing with me, which is one of loss or confusion or grief. We've all experienced that. And we are all uh, have the capacity for empathy because we are feeling emotional beings. But I need to just connect and listen to what is the emotion the person is sharing with me? And can I just sit with that and avoid the temptation and the awkwardness and the vulnerability to not want to feel like I've got to solve it, fix it, have the right answer, but really just stay with that. And then to offer them connection because in those moments, very rarely can anything I say make them feel better. They just want to know that someone's seeing and hearing them during their struggle. Yeah, it's a very, very strange thing. It's quite counterintuitive, actually, because what happens, and it's extremely powerful, because usually in our everyday life, there's a kind of emphasis on doing, on taking away. And, you know, we even have that saying, don't just sit there, do something, as if just sitting there does nothing. And I think what you say in situations like that, where you're not going to wave a magic wand and bring someone back or suddenly, you know, not retrench them or give them a better job. The power of turning it around, in other words, saying you don't have to do something, just be there, but be there differently. Be there fully present with me in the moment, with your senses receptive, without solution or advice, certainly not initially, but showing me that you are with me in what I'm going through. And people really underestimate the power of that. And we don't do it enough for ourselves. 
Exactly. And we don't demand it enough, not even demand, but ask for it enough because it appears to be weak and we are meant to be strong. And we certainly feel awkward sometimes about holding the space and just sitting with it with other people. We want it to go away. And I think what you're saying is actually that doesn't work. It will be heard and manifest in different ways if you don't attend to those feelings that are strong and pervasive yeah. and overwhelming. So, you know, empathy like courage is a skill set that can be taught, measured, observed, and it's a practice skill. So, you know, I know from my coach training and certainly the work that we've recently done is when I'm, when I'm doing my training workshops is that sometimes people don't necessarily know how to be empathetic. So it really is about saying, firstly, get really, really present in your own body and be still. You can't be sitting there clicking your finger or tapping your feet or even crossing your arms and legs. Just sit in an open posture and allow yourself just to be present in your own body and then present to the other person, even if you're doing it via the phone or a virtual medium as we are today, if someone's really struggling and they're sitting on a, in a home on their own right now or a staff member that you had to lay off, but you know they're struggling. Can you just sit in a way that's present and listen and ask open-ended questions? And these questions are not about like getting all the facts, getting all the information, what has the person done? It's about asking, what do you need? What would support or help from me or anyone else look and sound and feel like right now? And really, very gently, try and get this person to be specific so that you can, you can you know, reliably say whether you can or can't provide that kind of help or support. Mm. So those questions very gently pose, not like you know, shooting out like a, you know, a rapid-fire gun, just very gently asking what would support look like? What do you need? And allow silence to do the heavy lifting. Mm. I think that that's such important advice. And in addition to that, maybe we feel out of control and awkward about yeah. being able to do that. We don't practice it all that much. But we all can because it's and sometimes it's doing what you're saying it is doing, like asking the questions and what do you need? And sometimes... It's sitting in the space and not even asking the questions, just by saying you must feel devastated by now. You're anxious and you don't know really where to turn. You're worried about whether there's going to be another job. You're missing your mom and dad so much and you don't even know whether they're telling you the truth that they every time they say they're fine. Or you've got a kid who is just about to write them a trip. You must be so concerned about all of these years of school and what's going to happen now. So sometimes it's absolutely to do with asking the questions and you know, hoping that they're going to be able to tell you what it is. And sometimes you just going into yourself and imagining what it must be like mm -hmm. and connecting with them like that. And what I find is that when you do that, even if you're wrong, you're not wrong because the person really values the intention of the connection. They feel and it. They yeah. feel it, yeah. And the magic words, if they have to be words at all, because like I said, allow silence to do the heavy lifting. The volume of information your body, your very presence will be transmitting is sometimes enough. But if they had to be words, there would be three little words, which is I get it. Mm. Or you're not alone. Absolutely. That, 
Yeah, and I mean, what I love about Brene's work in this regard is she she talks about a term that comes from psychology, which is called empathic failures, which she's, you know, I agree with her, it sounds very shaming. So we rather refer to them as empathic misses, the ways in which we get empathy wrong or we confuse it. And the biggest one is we confuse sympathy with empathy. And this idea, you know, in South Africa, we, we mean it from a good place, but we'll say something like, oh, shame, I'm so sorry for you. Mm. That actually is, is really, it's very disconnecting for the person's experience that is sharing the intimate, personal, vulnerable moment, because now they feel like this person's pitting me and I almost now have to take care of them. No, 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 I'm really fine. Please don't worry about me, etc. And another one is we... And we've all been this person, we've all been this friend or, you know, sibling or family member who sees it as an opportunity for one-upmanship or comparative suffering. Like, wow, if you think that's bad, you know, you should hear what happened to me or this is what's happening to another individual or you're stuck in Bali, but, you know, I've been put on three months without pay. That's not empathy either. It's one-upmanship. It's also saying that you don't have a right to own your feelings. You have to deny the feelings unless they reach kind of a certain suffering level on the scoreboard. It's really dismissive. And it's saying, you know, you're only allowed to acknowledge and recognize and administer to yourself and ask for support to those feelings if they reach a certain. So it's really dismissive of other people by doing this comparative one-upmanship. You'll hear, oh, these are first world problems, but, and they are, and I appreciate that I'm in a comfortable place in Bali and I'm being taken care of, and there's some people sleeping in airports right now trying to get back to South Africa, and they certainly do have it a lot uh, worse than I do right now, but all of us are homesick, so, you know, my homesickness is no better or worse than someone else's homesickness, and in the same way, if someone's feeling anxious during these times, Who's to say your anxiety is better or greater than mine? Hurt is hurt and fear is fear. And when we stop acknowledging those very valid and legitimate emotions that other people have, for me, the the sort of uh, fabric of society starts to unravel. And that's not what we need right now. Mm. Well, Julia, thank you very much for that. I think that those are very, very important, both strategies and insights to bear in mind, many of them are counterintuitive because what we want is our own pain and confusion just to disappear. And what we want is to do the same for other people. And I think what you've highlighted is in order for those feelings to be tolerated and to be dealt with such that they don't spill over and hijack every hijack our bodies and hijack our health, hijack our psyche, they actually have to really be recognized, respected, understood, and acknowledged first by ourselves to ourselves, because then that gives us more of the strength to offer slices of ourselves to other people and then to other people. And I think that's an incredibly valuable and important message. So thank you very, very much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. And the last thing I'd say is, yes, coronavirus and COVID-19 is incredibly contagious and we need to take care. But courage is contagious. Calm is contagious. Compassion and empathy are just as contagious. And that's what we need to be building an immunity to at the moment is fear and anxiety and building up our strength in those spaces. Absolutely. And this two shelf parts. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. 
I'm Dorianne Wheel. You've been listening to Thrive with Dr. D. 